0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. So today, we have one of the most interesting national cases ever. And again, he's like a herpy. He pops up again. My friend John Q. Kelly from O.J. last week, Then all of a sudden we jump, and we jump to one of the famous cases that this whole country was very on edge about. It was in 2005 when this beautiful young high school Gal with her friends decided to go on a vacation at the end of the year in May of 2005, and they all went to the most beautiful island. I've been there many times, the island of Aruba, which has some of the best restaurants, probably the best restaurants in the Caribbean, really great food, that's all I know about it, mostly. And the beaches are beautiful, so she comes there, and she's 17 years old, and then all of a sudden, the day that she's supposed to leave... On May 30th, she never arrived to depart. When they checked the room, they found her baggage and her passport in her room. So now all of a sudden, let's back up. She had met this guy, Joran Vandersloot. What's his name, Johnny?
1: Joran Vandersloot.
0: Yeah, in this place called Carlos and Charlie's. So why don't you take us through? So John was hired by the family, the mother, and then John in turn brought me into the case. And we can start from the beginning, John, because like always, there's no one that knows and can explain these cases better than that college education of yours, the way you put things in perspective. Go ahead, Johnny.
1: All right. Well, first of all, this occurred in May of 2005. And... Within days of Natalie's disappearance in Aruba her mother Beth was down there and first a couple of the national reporters started picking up on the story and then it just exploded across the national scene is a headline news story every day a lot of it having to do with Natalie's you know beautiful young good looks Beth's articulateness and you know pleas for help and the Tropical Island aspect of it, the whole thing, it just had all the components of a, you know, real mystery.
0: And these disappearances, this is not an unusual thing. And one of the things in our investigation that we learned a lot of times these young gals go down to the Caribbean there. And it's very prevalent with these date rape drugs that they put in a drink. And a lot of sure. girls are, are assaulted, and not even half of half, majority of them are never ever reported because they have no real memory of what happened. And then let's take it through. So, when does their Lute come into play?
1: Well, he comes into play the, the last night. He runs into Natalie and her friends at Carlos and Charlie's, like you indicated. It was near the end of the night. He was there with the Kelpo brothers, a couple of squirrely guys themselves. They had a couple of drinks with Natalie. Natalie had obviously had a lot to drink, but in all likelihood she was drugged also, no question about that. And the Kelpo brothers, and you're on load Natalie into their car at at closing at, at Carlos and Charlie's and take off and Natalie's friends can't stop her from getting in the car and taking off with so Purana. they were they were
0: they were witnesses to her going in the car with van der Sloot and the brothers there right
1: oh yeah and within uh, the week so van der Sloot himself admitted he had yeah, been in the car with Natalie and driven around with her and the Calpo brothers. Now, but people have
0: to understand I, also, John, to bring the, the audience in. Now, yeah. Van father, I believe, was a judge there?
1: He was a local judge there. I don't think he was any hot shot, but, you know, he was above the, I'd say, the, the middle-income group there. Had a little bit of prestige, a little bit of power, and a little bit of poke with, you know, law enforcement down there, no question about it.
0: Yeah, so, so take he, us through it.
1: He went into play right away. He was not a big player at the beginning. He just sort of kept Euron and the, the Kelpo brothers shielded, didn't let them answer a lot of questions, and the, the kids were all picked up for questioning after a week or so and were held and all told conflicting stories about where Natalie had been seeing what they did with her he they dropped her off back at the, I think it was the Hilton Hotel or wherever it was she was staying, and video cameras confirmed that she had never been returned to the hotel, so she was last seen and uh, was last with Euron and the Kelpo brothers, and to this day, nobody has been able to locate Natalie, and nobody has been able to determine What happened to her? Yeah, we actually,
0: we actually, after you hired us on board, uh, we actually did our own investigation, and body never found. But also, I believe that the police didn't initially even search at the car and all that. It was a real sloppy investigation in the beginning, Mike. Right, John?
1: Oh, very sloppy. Yeah, they, you know, they had no, first the law enforcement taking the position she'd probably run away. Then it was, you know. These kids couldn't have been involved with it. They never searched the car, the Kelpo brothers' car. They never checked the residences, either Sleuth or the Kelpo brothers, you know, where they lived, and just nothing was done in terms of, of locating Italy for a while. Now, I think we gotta fast forward a little bit. Finally, the Kelpo brothers in Euron were picked up by the police for questioning and locked up. They didn't say anything. This was during the Did they lawyer
0: up John right away?
1: They they didn't have to. They were lawyered up with Euron's dad. Okay. That's who was handling this. So, you know, he was telling all three of them he was pulling the strings of what they should say, what they should do, and things like that. But during the summer of two thousand five, big headline story, nationwide, you know, the big mystery, where's Natalie? And then Katrina hit, Hurricane Katrina in August of two thousand five. And that just dominated the news for months. You know, the Natalie story disappeared, not to be heard from for a while. In November is when I was retained by Beth. She's up in New York and introduced me and asked me if I'd help her stir up interest in the story again help find out what happened to Natalie. And I, in turn, retained you right away because I obviously needed investigative work. And we were just waiting for a break to see if we could do something with the story and locating Natalie. And that was when, this was great, file. I don't know if you remember all the details of it, but someone from ABC who worked with Chris Cuomo dropped a dime on Cuomo in January, called me, told me that Euron and his dad were going to be coming into the city. You remember this, right?
0: Yeah, oh, I yeah. remember it distinctly. And you told me that they were coming in from Amsterdam, and well, we want to make sure that they're served, and there's no there's no question about the service. So I actually flew it to- yeah
1: Let me tell you, it was a little more complicated than that, though, that, that you had to do. First, we prepared a wrongful death action against Euron and his dad. And then in New York City, we had to file it, first, but we didn't want to file it because a court reporter would have picked it up right away and Euron, his dad would have been on alert and not come in, so we had to wait till Euron's dad was in New York City and in his hotel and Euron was on his flight from Amsterdam before he filed the action. Huh? So we had one detective that filed the action. As soon as it was filed you had another detective that served your aunt's dad in the hotel in New York City while
0: he was on the plane
1: now you had a third detective in Amsterdam that yep. followed you on the plane and could not get off without being served by your guy which well, you also have
0: to well basically yeah. John we we served the father I think when he was on the plane en route you're I had a detective that flew out to Amsterdam, got on the same flight, and what his instructions were, as soon as the plane landed in New York, he was to be served, which happened on the plane before he went through customs. Now, I wanted to make sure that there was no any question about the service, John, so I went there personally. I had one of my guys videotaping this service, we had to wait about two and a half, three hours from the come-through customs. Customs held them up. And then you could, people got to understand, you're in the end this little big guy, maybe six five, six six, big guy. And all of a sudden, this okay. thing looked like Doc Vader with his coat over his head come walking down there. And then they had this guy that was in front of them, and there was newspaper people around, reporters. Next thing, this guy come up, and I'm going to serve him now. And he comes up, and he pushes me. And I knocked him on his ass. I pushed him down. He fell head over heels. And I said, don't you put your hands on me. I'll break your effing freaking jaw. So he then got out of the way. Then I remember Van der Slute. I looked at him in his eyes. I says, here, you've been served. And I stuffed it in his shirt, the service of the subpoena. Next thing is I said to him, and I was really mad. I said, why don't you put your hands around my neck and strangle me like that little to little girl. And I, I kept following him. I'm trying to egg him on. I figured he'd take a swing on him and I could bow eyes him Eh, he had no ball he may have been six foot six but he had no balls on him next is I follow him out to the car I'm I'm MFing him and he just did like a little squirbly punk that he was he got into the car and he's then I get a phone call from your friend Chris Cuomo hi Bo I said yeah Chris what's up he goes you assaulted one of my uh, producers I says, listen to me, don't start that bullshit. I said, Salt, he puts his hands on me, pushes me. I knocked him on his ass. Yes, I did. And you tell him, hey, well, he's scared. He thinks you're going to beat him up. Oh. I said, you tell him, you put your hand on me, I'm going to knock your jaw out the next time. I said, this punk should never put his hands. So that was the prelude of the 2020 interview that ABC had in New York. But let's let's go back to the story. This was the service on the wrongful death thing.
1: Yeah, which was ultimately dismissed on jurisdictional grounds, but the point was we let Euron and his dad know that they were being watched, that we're not welcome in the U.S., and, you know, Beth was not going away. So from 2005 to 2010, Euron, you know, traveled the world and scammed all kinds of media people about his story he'd
0: Yeah, he was a victim. He had nothing to do with it. I'm a victim. I'm being persecuted. And he went on TVs, and he was interviewed, and it was just like his finger up everybody's nose, and he just kept his nonsense going. In the meantime, in the meantime, something else was percolating, John.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it was 2010 that he had exhausted all his other means of income by scamming all these media people out of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars promising to tell them what happened in Italy or where she was buried or confessing. And they were all hoaxes. And after the fact, he'd say, you know, you've been, you've been punked, more or less. Yeah,
0: but one of the things was, John, one of the things, John, with you and Beth and all that was that we reached out and we offered that we would help him in the case if he only told us where we could find her body so we can have some conclusion and some kind of a conclusion for the mother, for Beth and for the family. And we were like almost begging him. You know, we we, we know it could have been a mistake. It could have been an overdose. We were giving him every out in the world for this punk to tell us what happened. And he would just take us for a ride all around, all around, knowing deep down inside he would never— ever going to cooperate, and ever, never let anybody know what happened. Go ahead, John.
1: So in 2010, I get an email from Euron directly saying, you know, John, I think we should talk. You know, (laughs) I have an idea. Just out of nowhere, he sent me this email. You know, I, I could never communicate with him before, had no idea what he had in mind. So we started emailing back and forth. Bottom line is, he said, you know, if you come down here, you pay me $250,000, I'll (laughs) tell you where where she's buried. So, you know, I pretend like I'm a a sucker. I start going along with it or email him back and forth. I tell him I'll come down there or he wants me down there Easter weekend to make a down payment and, you know, pay the balance after he gives me the information. So I go down there that weekend certainly not with any money, wasn't going to give the scumbag a penny, you know, at that point, and met with him, chatted with him for a while in a hotel room down there in Aruba. He asked me if I had the money. I said, not yet. I need a couple days to get it. In the meantime, why don't you tell me what you know? And he got all pissed off, you know, and wanted to leave right away, and I followed him. Down the hotel stairs, I followed him out to the parking lot. I blocked the door to his car. And
0: well, you got brave, John, and I wasn't even with you. That sounds pretty brave for you.
1: <laughs> well, it was—he's a big guy. No, and everything he looks like—you know—he's—he uh, looks it. like
0: Darth Vader yeah, when he had his coat over his head. Good.
1: Yeah. So uh, he leaves. He doesn't get his money. I don't get any information. I think the matter's dead. I go back to New York. I think about it a little bit, and then I realize that if he was paid any money for information about Natalie by Beth or someone, that would be extortion. And if he was sent money, you know, by wire, it would be wire fraud also. <laughs> so
0: I'm glad you looked up I mean, the laws, John. Otherwise, you would have probably taken me down because I would have probably been the one to give them the money, and I would have been locked up with you, John. So go ahead. <laughs>
1: We love getting locked up. So, so anyway, contact the FBI, contact the DEA, law enforcement, I think Aruba, drug enforcement also. You and I had certainly discussed what was going to be mapped out, and we are waiting for Iran to reach out again to see if he called a second time about getting this money, which he did a month later, you know, rather complicated, but... He does reach out. We confirm he wants money again. I go down to a route again this time, as you know, but I had FBI agents, DEA agents, uh, I think Homeland Security and some other people down there, about 10 or 12 agents down there that wired the car I had, put video cameras in the car, put Uh video cameras in my hotel room and everything. And, you know, the hope was Euron would once again... Asked for his money, and this time I had 10000 in cash and 15000 in account for it to be wired for him if he, you know, wanted to go there for it again. So uh-huh. I got down there. He, I called him. He came up to my hotel room, sat down. We had the whole thing videotaped, audiotaped, wrote around the car for a while, too, and... Ultimately, I gained the $10,000 cash after he had confirmed what it was for to, you know, show me where Natalie was buried and what happened. Yep. And we wired him the fifteen grand. So now we had already established the extortion and wire fraud counts. hmm uh-huh. And I, you know, rode around with him, listened to his bullshit story. He took me to different locations, told me, you know, how he had been with Natalie dropped her. She hit her head on a rock and died. And his dad helped hide the body and later was buried under some house and the whole story. So, and this was all recorded in the car as in by the, you know, the FBI, et cetera. So after this is all done, he goes home. I'm debriefed by the FBI. I leave at five o'clock the next morning, thinking that Euron's going to be arrested the next day or so watching the news. And they never hear anything, and it turns out local law enforcement, who's supposed to be watching on mm-hmm. making sure they go anywhere, instead, it tipped him off to the
0: yeah. He had FBI. he had rats inside the local police to tell him that the FBI and the DEA guys and everybody were there, and they were working on them. So he got up. Go ahead,
1: and he everybody thought he somehow got through the airport and flew to Venezuela with the money, but what he did was
0: So he ripped paid- he ripped you, John, for twenty five friggin' thousand dollars. So you got you got punked.
1: I got punked, but uh, I wasn't really punked because the expectation was he he was going to be picked up right there in Aruba and still have the $10,000 cash and the $15,000 that was wired to him. So it it wasn't supposed to play out anyway but that. But what happened is local law enforcement tipped him off. He got a local fisherman to take him by boat to Venezuela. So, you know, nobody caught him at the airport or anything. And he just, disappeared. FBI had no track of him or the but we, are, we already
0: established the extortion and wire fraud already. So we had charges, federal charges that would have been filed on him, am I correct, John?
1: Correct. He could have been, you know, arrested the next day or local law enforcement could have arrested him for murder, or manslaughter the next day also. So I assumed he wasn't going anywhere that everybody's watching him, but he slipped out of the country into Venezuela. Weeks go by, he starts contacting me again for money. <laughs> won't tell me where he is. And now, did you go
0: uh, and give he... him another 25000 in Venezuela, John?
1: No, <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up, <bro. God>. <laughs> <laughs> So the day before he heads into Peru, he contacts me again, you know, tells me he needs money. If I send him money, he'll fly back to Aruba, <laughs> maybe <meet> me there <laughs> and really tell me what happened this time. time so. Yeah, I was like, okay, you're hold your breath. So the next day, it turns out that he had met this girl, Stephanie Flores, one of the casinos. She was staying with him. He had left his computer open. She actually saw, I think, the emails between Euron and I, questioned him about who he really was and what he was doing there. And that's when he flipped out on her and murdered Stephanie Flores in the hotel room.
0: Wasn't there uh, a second one, John?
1: Second one. Wasn't
0: there a second murder in Venezuela? No. An uh, an unsolved second murder that he possibly had some input with?
1: I don't know. There there, there are a couple things floating around with him, but quite possibly. But, you know, murdered Stephanie Flores was ultimately caught at the border and picked up by the Peruvian authorities and brought back and... You know, pled guilty to bludgeoning her to death and trying to carry her out in a suitcase, and was given 28 years for that. In the meantime, you know, I've got to live with the fact that I gave this kid 25,000 bucks to leave the country and go somewhere else, and another girl was murdered. So, so you
0: facilitated that, his escape and you funded his escape, John. In other words, in a sense, and I've, you know,
1: <laughs> I've, got, to, I've got to live with that, though. it's you know, it's I guess it's. So, I mean, this was, was really not funny, but it's ironic. And
0: it's big. It was big news at the time when he gets locked up on the other murder and all that. Now, they sentenced him. Huge, to, yeah, huge they, they said magazine
1: called it the biggest story of the year.
0: And they sentenced him to 28 years for murdering this young gal in Venezuela. Right. Go ahead. Now, what happens with these charges that you actually have with the FBI? Are they still there? Is he still in jail? Where are we at with it?
1: Yeah, the day after his arrest in Peru, I guess, U.S. Attorney's Office finally got off the mark and indicted him that very next day, I think, for wire fraud and extortion. So there's a hold on him down in Peru when he's done with his 28 years.
0: When is that, John?
1: Oh, shit, Poe. I don't even know.
0: Okay, so I don't he, even know. He got arrested. It's simple. a simple addition. You know how to give me your bills, so simple addition. 2010, and now we're in 2000 and what? We're in 2023, so that's only 13 of the 28. Come on, buddy.
1: I always pad your bills, but that's 15 okay. years left, and he was just sentenced to another 18 years for running a cocaine distribution. In radio. jail. In jail. So,
0: bye bye, dickhead. Like I said in Goodfellas, bye bye, dickhead. So, he's going to be incarcerated. Nobody put a shiv in him yet.
1: Not yet, he's, he's running, Well, the inmate is running the, the jail. Well, like, I, the I, I got a jail, feeling, obviously.
0: I got a feeling, I you know, I, I work on my sixth sense, Sean, it's taking me through life. I got a feeling we're going to get a report that someone's going to take a shiv and going to cut his friggin' gut out and kill him in jail, which wouldn't be a bad thing, and he should meet his demise that way for what he did to all these young gals. He killed two of them, at least, with Natalie and the other one, and there's no doubt in my mind, and in my old, my. Th- theory all along, John, was that he put her in a rowboat and he put her in the water. A lot of people don't know around Aruba, what kind of fish do they got there? Those barracudas loaded with barracudas and those fish there could eat eat the body, eat the flesh off until the bones would fall down into the sand, deep down into the sand. And that's why it would be almost as bad as trying to find Malaysian flight, uh, whatever the flight was. You never, We never found any evidence of our body or anything. I just feel as though this was one of the most interesting case. But again, it alerted children. Today, people they actually want to go to Mexico. I have parents calling me up saying, "Oh, well, my daughter's going to Guadalajara. My daughter's going to uh, that other place uh, over there on the East Coast. What's that called over there? Cancun?y All these places. You're not you're not going to get away from the murdering that's going on in Mexico. You had like I said, forty thousand deaths last year. Twenty thousand missing, presuming dead. Don't go to Mexico." But let's get back to finish this out, John. Another case. So what's your feelings now? Some are, some some are, everything. What's your last conversations with Beth and what is your feeling about this, John?
1: That it's not over yet. That one day your arm um, will be brought to the US to face justice. I'll probably be at hundred and twenty end when I'm expected to testify in court. So might not remember a lot of the details. but I'm sure uh, you will,
0: John. But I, I got a little bit of a point for you, John. And you, could go, and you could go to sleep with this one. I don't believe he ever stands trial. You know why? I believe God will take his will. And there's some God-fearing guys who are in that jail that know who he is and what he did. And I tell you what, if I was doing life with him, <laughs> that could be an easy one. That could be an easy one at, in the uh, mess hall. Uh, There'll be more of a mess in the mess hall. You know what I mean? But, you know, you just handled, John, some of the most unbelievable cases from O.J. to uh, Natalie Howard and scores and scores of other cases. And every time I said it last week, every time that John Q. Kelly takes on a case, he makes it like it's a, I hate to use the comparison, but like a movie. You're the director, you're the producer, director, you're the one that brings in the actors, you're the one that goes deep and finds every avenue, like what you found by bringing the FBI and the DEA, we avoided having me doing it, and then you and I would have been daisy-chained in handcuffs for extortion, John. So you saved me. Thank you, John, for not letting me do this one because, you know, it could have turned out bad for you and me. But, again, people who are listening, John Q. Kelly, he's been practicing law over 40-something years if not the best, the best lawyer that anybody can have wrongful debts. We handled one case with a triple homicide. I don't know if I'm able to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. A triple homicide, which we had the guy locked up. And uh, maybe we'll do a show on that one too, John. You did a fantastic job. You brought us in. We were able to, to break that case wide open and have the person convicted of murdering three people in the great state of where, John? Kentucky. Kentucky, the great, beautiful state of Kentucky. Maybe we'll talk about that one on another podcast, because that's a very interesting. And uh, by bringing in your top detectives, we were able to break that triple homicide. Again, any of my listeners want to get to John Kelly, John Q. Kelly, you can look him up anywhere. And that invitation's open this weekend. Remember, ham steak, well done, bacon, cheese omelet, and I got those ba- everything bagels from Goldberg's Bagels in the East Quag. So, John, you want to come out this weekend, you're welcome. I'm by myself. Margo's singing in California, So, and you can even sleep over. I got your suite ready for you, John.
1: Okay, but last thing, last prediction, that the the Euron seg and the extortion and wire fraud story is not over yet. I'll leave you with that.
0: Wow. That's a a mysterious tidbit. And you don't want to tell the listeners what you're talking about.
1: I might tell the listeners I just don't want you to know. <laughs> so if you could you could hang up, I'll talk to them directly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't leave us that bite. Come on, tell us what.
1: All right, Bob, I got yeah. our time's up, and I got to run.
0: All right, John, love you, and thank you, John Q. Kelly, for coming on. And I think we'll do that triple homicide in the near future. Okay, buddy. Talk to you
1: soon, Bob. Love you. Bye.
0: Right, love you too. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Wow, that was an interesting case. I tell everybody, please listen every week. Tell your friends about Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. You're not going to hear a journalist talk about cases. You're going to hear about a real attorney, a great attorney, and you'll hear about real detectives' investigations. Again, anybody of our listening view audience can get to me anywhere, anytime on www. Investigations with an S.com. You can send me an email if you have a case that's a cold case. We certainly could get involved again. Thank you for listening. Until next week, Bo Dito's True Crime Story signing off. Thank you very much.